This week we explore using podcasts for social impact with a great podcast based in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest is Luke Griffin, the founder and host of the Bushwick Podcast. So we're having a, is this a crossover episode, Luke? I think this is a crossover episode, George. Okay, well, why don't you help our audience understand what the Bushwick Podcast is and what it does? Absolutely. Bushwick Podcast is a local podcast series that shares stories, events, and resources specifically for the community in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Which, for listeners who might not be familiar with New York or Brooklyn, Bushwick is one of New York City's fastest gentrifying neighborhoods. Uh, It's incredibly diverse. It has a huge population, both of folks who are immigrants, non-English speakers, or English as second language speakers. It's both incredibly diverse, but also has become incredibly attractive for a lot of real estate development. So we see a lot of different priorities and a lot of different communities colliding here, and it's very much a melting pot. So with Bushwick Podcast, we partner with community-based organizations like nonprofits, city agencies, local businesses, or local artists to break down some of the local issues that come about from this melting pot and make it really easy and a little fun to understand what's happening in the neighborhood and how folks can participate. And what is the goal, would you say, of this podcast? The ultimate goal is just to make it incredibly easy and incredibly accessible for anybody in the community to be really informed and really active in the Bushwick community. Well, I'm a, I'm a Brooklyn native, though I now live in San Francisco, so I, I know there's plenty of stories and lots of accents uh, that you probably get to get to have on. And as you're building, uh, talk to me as, as you're building this, why did you choose a podcasting medium? to to have this dialogue? For me, podcasts are really exciting for a few different reasons. Uh, first of all, they're just one of the fastest growing ways that folks are getting news and entertainment. I think uh, the latest research that's come out is last year, 73 million Americans were listening to podcasts each month. But what that also means is that there's a lot of folks who've either never heard of podcasts or are only vaguely familiar with it. So as fast as it's growing and as exciting as it is, there's this huge ceiling for the medium to grow. But even more importantly than that, for the purposes of Bushwick Podcast around things like civic engagement and information accessibility, what I think are especially great about podcasts versus any other medium is that they're super democratic. They're really accessible. It's free. It's incredibly portable. You can listen to it on almost any device, anywhere you want. And it's really decentralized. So there's always going to be a lot of different access points for folks to be able to listen to podcasts. And beyond that, you don't even need to read. You don't even need your own internet connection. You can go to a Starbucks or a McDonald's and download an episode. So as a vehicle for getting information out to a really wide audience who has a range of things like tech savviness and media savviness, podcasts are this awesome vehicle that, in my opinion, is better than just about anything else out there. All right, well, we're going to come back to that in our pro versus con with regard to podcasts. Uh, But I actually want to take a step back into the approach, which I really like here. Can you talk us through 
Can you talk us through, uh, you know, how you think about and approach stakeholder interviews and pull those into your narratives? For us, stakeholder interviews are a absolute pillar to what we do at Bushwick Podcast. We like to call the folks that we work with community partners. And this might be somebody like the local library. It might be a small business. This could be uh, an artist who's working on a project. We work with them because these are the folks who have the best handle on local issues and also the deepest connections to the community itself. So when we think of something like a stakeholder interview, we're really looking to folks for their expertise on what's happening in the neighborhood, their expertise on how we can break that down in a way that's going to be really easily communicable to a wider audience and how we can engage people in whatever that issue might be. So for us, stakeholder interviews are the backbone of Bushwick Podcast. I really like that. And I wish I wasn't so lazy and I could actually get out there and and do some of that (laughs) because it sounds really great. But bring me in a little bit more because here's what I want. Right now, there's somebody at a nonprofit listening to this and they're saying, well, wait a minute, what does that actually look like? Are you in the field with all of your podcasting equipment? How difficult is this? And you know, just break it down for me. To your point, yes, we are in the field with our podcasting equipment. And I'll explain a little bit about what that means. So we, we work with nonprofits specifically uh, around a range of different issues, but our production process is very lightweight and very DIY. So usually it's us out in the field sitting at somebody's office with maybe a computer and a microphone and chatting. Valentine's Day is this week, and for a lot of people in the community, that will mean one thing, chocolate. In the spirit of the holiday, we sat down to learn the journey of Bushwick's foremost chocolate expert. I got some skills. <laughs> I, got some, I got mad skills with this stuff. <laughs> because I'm part chocolate. I may, you know, we're sitting talking and you're like, oh, here's Daniel, he's on the chair, he looks human, which is partly true. <laughs> the other part truth is I am part chocolate bar. I mean, definitely eating enough of it to, to be that way. That's Daniel Sklar. How did he come to be part man, part chocolate, and the founder of one of Bushwick's most celebrated... Uh, for folks who might be a bit more familiar with things like audio engineering and podcast production... That might sound like a nightmare in terms of audio quality, but for us, that's a strategic decision for a couple of reasons that we want to put people very much in the space when we're recording. So things like background audio, that's not a huge issue for us in a way that's an asset. And it makes it that much more accessible for folks who are listening in to get a sense of if this is a nonprofit that I might want to utilize the services of as a resident of this community, I already have a bit more of a familiarity and maybe the activation energy for going to visit them and actually walking through the door feels a little bit lower now because I've already heard somebody's voice. I have a sense of what it's like to be in this space. So we try to use that as an asset for us. Okay, so you said this was the chocolate tempering machine, which is tempering is bringing it to a When you enter, you first step into a modest cafe and tasting area, but there's an open view into the factory floor that allows you to see the collection of various machines, mixing chocolates, and the workers packaging assorted products. So it sounds it sounds accessible with regard to the technology involved and you know what kind of you know is this thousands of dollars of equipment that you're walking in with or are there field recorders? I wanna I really wanna make it you know, how hard is it to do this if you've never done it before? I would say in terms of the 
capturing of audio, that is one of the easiest processes, at least for us, in terms of making a podcast. And for a lot of folks that we talk to who are interested in getting involved with podcasts, that comes as a bit of a surprise. We use a lot of really common and accessible tools from smartphones to capture some audio to prosumer level microphones like the Blue Yeti, which is just a little over $100 to record with, as well as laptops that don't require any kind of special software. We just use Mac laptops with GarageBand, which is built in for free. And we're very proud of the audio quality and the production quality that we can get out of that. It takes a little bit of elbow grease in terms of the editing process, but there's a lot of free tools out there or low cost tools that make capturing audio and then publishing it super simple. Uh, for some context, we don't use a service called Anchor, but Anchor is a service that was recently acquired by Spotify, which makes it completely free to host and upload podcasts on different podcast platforms. We use a service called Blueberry, which charges us $40 a month, which is pretty low overhead for hosting our platform. It's very simple. That's really the entirety of the equipment that we use to capture and edit this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think one of my goals here in talking to you is to demystify demystify the process of creating a podcast and make it a touch more accessible because I, I, I do think you're right. There's magic and opportunity in hearing from and using the voices of the people you're serving and bringing that conversation, frankly, with all its glory and background noise, uh, to uh, you know, to a larger audience. Now, in terms of like uh, just tactically using audio, uh, do I have to launch a podcast in order to take advantage of what you just talked about? No, I would say there's so many different ways that you can use the medium of audio as an asset, whether you're an individual, a nonprofit, or somehow involved in the, the social purpose space. There's really simple and accessible channels that anybody can use, whether that's something like a SoundCloud, something like YouTube, something like Anchor, if you really want to get involved with a podcast. But to that point of capturing the power and the intimacy of audio, it might be something as simple as putting a YouTube video up where you have a, a couple of static images with audio in your background. That's something that a lot of podcasts actually do. And a lot of radio stations will do as well just to get their information out to a wider audience. So whether you want to invest into developing a full podcast series and the different strategies that might be attendant with that or just utilize audio as a potential asset, things like YouTube, things like SoundCloud make it incredibly simple, free and a couple of clicks away from being able to put something like that up on your website or send it out in an email to some of your followers. I think we're at like tool number seven at this point. Anybody who's like super concerned, uh, don't worry, we've got show notes. I talk about the show notes and we'll be adding tons of these tools. And certainly, uh, Luke, you're welcome to, to send even more. And, and I think that's helpful, right? This is the point of saying like, wait a minute, you know, I can use audio well beyond just, all right, here's a podcast that I'm creating uh, and putting out there. And I think some of the, the tools you're talking about really, uh, it, it beginning to make it accessible. Talk to me about how you think about building that narrative. Like you're about to wander off into Bushwick and talk us through your last episode and how you're like, all right, we need conversations with fill in the blank. That's a very timely question as we actually just released our most recent episode uh, two days ago. 
And you and I are having this conversation. This is the week of Valentine's Day. So we actually released one of our more lighthearted episodes, which is about an organization called Fine and Raw, which is a chocolate factory that's based in Bushwick. Even to folks who live in Bushwick, it comes as a bit of a surprise that there's a functioning chocolate factory in the neighborhood. And for us, we took that as an opportunity not only to highlight this really fun, really cool asset in the community, but also take an opportunity to talk a little bit about the industrial context in the neighborhood and introduce some concepts like zoning and special regulatory areas called industrial business zones. So we tend to think of episodes around how can we introduce these valuable civic topics that people might not prioritize learning about with things that are really fun and accessible, like hearing the personal journey of a person who's incredibly interesting and ended up founding a chocolate factory. So for us, thinking about that narrative was, how can we release something that's timely and in a fun way capitalizes on the Valentine's Day holiday, but also introduce information that is a little meatier and adds some civic value to any listener, but is also still going to be fun. And for other episodes, that really ranges. They might be incredibly timely and uh, very specific to certain events that are going on in the community. They might be a little more abstract and talk about a long-standing business or a cultural event that's happening in the neighborhood, things like that. Yeah, and I think that really, as you said, is timely. You're pulling in the narratives of the local community. You're pulling in the macro concept of there's business, there's growth, uh, there's texture here, uh, and it's sort of entertaining and lighthearted, uh, it seems, at, at the same time. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's helpful in sort of like, oh, okay, I get it. These are the, the types of conversations. And then you probably give context and context in your narrative. Absolutely. And we make a point to try to ground it in very human stories, whether this is something that we're talking about uh, a, a real neighborhood narrative in terms of, oh, the business or the regulatory environment. No matter what we're talking about, though, we ground it typically in somebody's personal journey. And that's absolutely important for the folks who are listening in because it just makes it more fun. It makes it more relatable, but it also helps ground and contextualize some of those broader narrative themes that we're trying to hit. I really like this because it comes up a lot when we talk about digital storytelling. And frankly, the medium changes, but the macro approach seems to be we're going to give you the, you know, the data of the forest and the story of a tree that gives you frankly, both sides of the heart and head that people need in order to understand an issue. And it, and it sounds like you're adopting this methodology as well. Yes, I haven't heard that term before uh, in terms of... I made it up just now, just, just now to now. <laughs> I am absolutely going to use that. <laughs> will, Great. Make sure you it. steal it like an artist. If you're going to do it, pretend like you made it up. And to this <laughs> gift I give. Yeah, no, I, I think that's perfect. And to add a little bit more uh, context to what we're doing specifically, one of our previous episodes, for instance, focuses on a growing wellness gap in the neighborhood and the issues of accessibility and representation around healthy eating. We talk about these really broad forest level issues of things like food accessibility and the relationship of personal identity to uh, things like diet. But we ground that in this really tree level story of a particular business founded by a particular set of people who are doing some specific work in the community to help address that issue. So it creates a story that works on a number of levels. But for a listener, it's incredibly easy to follow along 
and really grounded in somebody's relatable and exciting personal journey. So to your point, I, I love that idea of forest level data, but tree level stories. I want to move into some of what you were saying before that, you know, the purpose of this podcast is the, you know, hearts and minds of humans that are listening and, and hopefully understanding these, uh, these issues of, of Bushwick a little bit more intimately. Can you talk to me about how you measure the impact of this podcast and who your audience is? Yes. And this is something that I'm excited to talk about, particularly for listeners in the audience, because for us, this is one of our biggest challenges. How do you measure impact when the goal of our project is something as lofty as making information and power more accessible to a wide range of the community? And that's an ongoing process for us in terms of really locking it down. But we're thinking about it today in a couple of ways that are achievable and really tangible. The first is purely data-driven around metrics of listeners. That's a super clear and easily trackable metric for us to follow. If we're doing some kind of campaign in the community, if we're releasing episodes, if we're adjusting some kind of variable, how can we see how that affects this other variable of who's downloading this podcast? And while I could go on about why that can be a little challenging with podcasts, because data is something that the medium is just challenged by, on a broad level, that's something that we can follow along pretty simply. But beyond that, in terms of thinking of, are we really moving any needles in the community and what types of effects are we having on the listeners? That's something where our ground game of developing a network, working with a number of different community partners and connecting ourselves with them, but also them with other community partners in the neighborhood, we're starting to listen more qualitatively around things like oh, a customer came into my store and they said that they'd heard about it because they heard us on Bushwick Podcast. Or somebody in an organization we've never contacted before reaching out to one of our partners and saying, how do we get in touch with Bushwick Podcast and how can we work with them to share some of our resources for the community? So at least in these early days, we're thinking about it quantitatively in ways that might be imperfect, but can give us some clarity in terms of how certain things we're doing might be affecting our listenership. But the things that I think are really going to pay off later, but are just going to take more time to get true insight into are more qualitative around how are we building connections and what is our content doing for the community? What type of value is it delivering? Yeah, I can I can also echo the, the frustration a little bit sometimes with the measures of podcasts. Uh, effectively, what I, you know, what I tell people is that imagine for the point of uh, measuring, let's say, if people are actually listening to it versus just downloading it. Imagine if you mailed somebody a CD and that's the metric you got. All right, I mailed it to this place and then who knows what happened. So you can't get like sort of number of minutes that they maybe listen to. So you're you're in one level trapped with this uh, idea of and metric of downloads, which, you know, you can go by device and you can go by rough geo sometimes. It'll give you that information based on the IP. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I think you exploring the other uh, heuristics around the, the quality, right, um, the word of mouth, and then saying like, all right, if one person reached out to me, that means there's at least 10 more where that came from because it's a power law of somebody getting in touch. Does that, does that resonate at all with you? Or do you have the same frustrations? 
I certainly have the same frustrations in terms of the more quantitative side of trying to track data. But to your point, you're exactly right around the qualitative side of things. That's actually a huge advantage that we have in that we're so local. We have such a specific audience and it's so geographically accessible for us to be able to work with partners in the community and have our finger on the pulse that we have a little more insight than somebody who may have a national audience would. So we try to leverage that advantage in terms of are the things we're doing working and how might we be able to adjust our path from there. One thing to, to pull back here on is you made a decision not to focus on New York, not to focus on Brooklyn, but down to the just like just the neighborhood of Bushwick, which means immediately you've cut your audience, um, you know, to a fraction uh, of what it would be if it were a sort of national debate and podcast. This is the gentrification podcast coming to you from Bushwick today, but could be somewhere else. Talk to me about that decision. Is this part of a larger trend of interest on a hyperlocal strategy? Absolutely. And I love this question because it speaks to issues that we're trying to think through as a very small organization. One of those issues is the presence and the purpose of local media. There's so much that's being written and studied now around the decline of local media how that contributes to things like the bubble effect for online readers, how that contributes to things like political polarization. There's so many different things that you can point to as to why independent, strong local media is really essential for local communities. So in one way, that was something that it, it's just such a critical debate right now that to be a part of it was really appealing. But even beyond that higher level opportunity for us, it was just the fact that I was living in Bushwick at the time when I'd started Bushwick Podcast. It was so clear to me how much was changing and how inaccessible the factors that were changing it and the ways that I could get involved were. So there was just this really clear alignment between there's a need for something here. And in order to address that need could be pretty lightweight with something like a podcast. But even more so, when we think about Bushwick, for folks who are unfamiliar with Bushwick or Brooklyn, Bushwick as a neighborhood has over 100,000 people. In it. It's still a very large and diverse place that even if our audience is capped at that and we focus our stories and we focus our resources on this specific community, we could be making a sizable impact on the lives of over 100,000 people. But we also make a point in our storytelling to tell stories that are especially relevant for people in Bushwick, but can be valuable for somebody who might live on the other side of the world. Because the types of issues that we're talking about might be happening in Bushwick and they might be hyper relevant to folks who live or work there, but they're extrapolable anywhere you might be. Issues of zoning, issues of gentrification more broadly, how different cultures come together. We actually have a pretty sizable audience outside of New York. And I think one of the reasons why people tune in is that those lessons, you can easily find parallels to any community. We're just focusing on a community that is important to us and has a really acute need for a strong, independent platform for people to be able to easily learn, how can I be an active citizen in this community? Yeah, and I feel like I, I have to do some due diligence here. Can you give us some general numbers, how long you've been around, how many episodes, and if you can share uh, your audience downloads or size, how you measure it? Right. 
we are very young. We released our first episode at the end of September in 2018. We released what was basically a proof of concept season, uh, one episode every two weeks from the end of September through about the beginning of December. That allowed us to work out the kinks, develop our processes, develop our network. We took a pause, built that network out, started to interview a lot more folks, and we began releasing new episodes at the beginning of February 2019, and we're now releasing episodes weekly. So our production is sped up a bit. Uh, we have things smoothed out, and that's allowing us to grow our audience, which right now is about a few hundred people a month, which is exceeding our expectations because we're entirely word of mouth in terms of how we're marketing and how we're trying to spread the audience. We've done no PR, have had almost no press. We're very focused on grassroots. And as we start to grow from there, we expect the audience is going to grow alongside it. But in terms of impact, again, the, the most valuable things for us right now are largely qualitative. And we're using these relationships that we're building with dozens of organizations in the community to build out a network that eventually we can start to use to deliver value to more and more folks in the community. Nice. Uh, thank you. Thank you for honestly and openly sharing your, uh, you know, your numbers there. And I like having somebody on who's at the beginning of their journey uh, versus somebody who is, you know, uh, burned out or ground down <laughs> by, <laughs> by the activity um, which maybe is a perfect segue into today's pro versus con, uh, and our topic, you can choose either side pro versus con is, should I create a podcast to reach my audience? Which side would you like, Luke? I will take the pro side. Okay. Pro side on, should I create a podcast to reach my audience? Would you like to go first? I'm happy to go first, George. Thank you. If you're considering starting a podcast for your audience, I'll go back to the points that I made early in our discussion. I believe that podcasts are the most accessible, the most democratic, and the most portable ways that you can engage in a really meaningful way with just about anybody. Your audience won't need to read. They can be on just about any platform possible, and they need not even have regular internet access. That, to me, is one of the most valuable parts of a podcast, is that if you're working with a client base who has irregular internet access or has a smartphone that they have prepaid minutes for and they might be able to go to something like a McDonald's and download things. It's more difficult if you have something like a blog with a podcast, they can use that time to download your episodes and take them with them anywhere they might go. Beyond that, I think one of the most powerful pros of a podcast is just the power of the human voice and the intimacy that that can create regardless of what type of story you're trying to tell, whether it's purely non-fictional, maybe it's inspirational, maybe it does involve some kind of narrative, the ability to connect with somebody from anywhere in the world directly into their ears, I think is irreplaceable. And I think that as humans, we're just built to love the oral story. And that's an incredibly powerful way that you can capture somebody and deliver a broad range of information in a way that you just can't beat with other mediums. Wow, he laid out all of his pro arguments. I don't know if this is going to bode well because now I can respond tactically. So <laughs> let me let me talk about three pieces here: reach, time, and investment. First off, one of the core pieces is reach an audience. Uh, while it may be intimate, uh, the accessibility 
while yes, literature wise and literacy wise, um, we can listen to audio. Uh, frankly, we're going to get farther uh, and further with our reach on something that's written, that's searchable, that answers a question via via Google. Um, you cannot search uh, podcasts in the same way you can written text. You can't categorize and create those verticals. So with regard to reach, if I'm trying to get a particular topic, I might choose a different direction. Time is a funny one. While it may be intimate, I may be in your ear right now as we speak, imagine how rare it is in your day where you've got the 23 and a half minutes uh, of uninterrupted uh, time. Maybe it's a commute or maybe it's not if you're not you know, in, in that sort of vein to have that time to be able to consume the media, which by the way, we can't even freaking track per our conversation about metrics. My final point is uh, of investment. It, it takes you know, a number of hours uh, and technical prowess to, to create a podcast, a polished, uh, a polished product. And so uh, with any calculation, it is return on investment. And if the investment is high, the return uh, on reach better be high. So back to you. I think those are great points, George. And some of them are indisputable around things like data transparency. That to me really takes the the question to the level of what are you trying to say with this content? And if you're trying to deliver a message to clients, to customers, to peers, podcasts may or may not be the best medium. I think it comes down to what are you trying to convey or how are you trying to connect? There's definitely advantages to text, searchability and discoverability being pretty paramount. But uh, one thing that I specifically wanted to address was your comment about time. This to me is actually a major advantage of podcasting where you might not have 23 and a half uninterrupted minutes to sit down and focus on some type of media. That to me is what makes podcasts great is that I might be cooking dinner or I might be typing out some less brain intensive information into a spreadsheet or I might be checking my emails. And while I'm doing those things, I can't be focusing on a text article or a video but I can be listening to audio. So while it does demand uh, a linear consumption in a way that something like text might not, I do think it offers this incredible advantage that you can be reaching your audience while they're on the subway and they don't have internet service or while they're making their breakfast and they don't have any hands free to check their email. So while there are certainly cons to the medium, depending on the message you wanna deliver and depending on the audience that you're trying to reach, I think that podcasts give you a level of access that is irreplaceable. On the point, though, of reach and how I get out there, I think there's an assumption that if you build it, they will come. If I have, you know, used one of these, you know, tools that we talked about, oh, Anchor, I'll just end up on Spotify. Oh, and then I'll publish my podcast and it'll end up on the front page of iTunes and people will just find me and download me. The amount of effort you still need to do to hustle and push uh, listenership is is significant so once you build it you then have to get people to come because organic just doesn't go that far uh, with regard to podcasts in this medium and frankly that's something that i really agree with <laughs> i think that is a, a true con to the medium and why i would suggest for anybody who is interested in leveraging a podcast that I think it goes really well with something like a newsletter where you might have a built-in audience that you can then direct towards your podcast, like a website where you can direct people towards the podcast. 
Because for most people who might be listening, if you work at a nonprofit or at a smaller agency, you probably don't have the resources to truly build out an audience for a podcast first message. But as a complement to existing channels, I think that a podcast is a great way to add a lot of value. All right. I think that wraps up our pro versus confident. I think, uh, you know, my, my pessimism may came, came through pretty well, but I think you, uh, I think you raised some good points. And as, uh, as is tradition on pro versus con, I think you won as our guest. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thank you, George. Alrighty. Let's move into our rapid fire round. Please keep your responses brief as we go through. Are you ready? I'm ready. Alrighty, what is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year that you love? The one that I'm the most excited about is called radiopublic.com. This is a podcast platform that is really convenient for both listeners and for you as a publisher, primarily because you don't have to have a login to be able to access it. And for people who are new to podcasts, that's essential. So we're very excited about using that. What tech challenges do you need to solve in the coming months? For us, it's our biggest issue is building the habit of subscription for new listeners. Our target audience, the majority of them don't know what a podcast is. So we're being very thoughtful in our messaging as to how we can not only introduce that idea, but also encourage people to use a platform that's probably new to them to subscribe. What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? The word that's driving everything we're doing this year is accessibility. So one thing that we are not yet doing that I'm very excited to build out is dual broadcasting the podcast in both English and Spanish, because Bushwick has a huge Spanish-speaking population. Talk to me about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now. At a previous company... One of the biggest mistakes we'd made, we had a product that was designed to get different agencies to coordinate on care for their clients. We came in with what I would describe as a solutions first approach, where we said we have this really awesome tool and we're so excited for you to use it when we really should have been going in with a problems focused approach and thinking about how can we shape this tool and the way we deliver it to help solve real problems and not just further the delivery of this product. That was one of the most important lessons in my career, and it's something that we're absolutely putting into action with Bushwick Podcast. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? 100%. I studied social work in grad school, and one of the most important lessons that I learned is that the job of a true social worker, and I think this is true of any purpose-based job, is to put yourself out of business. It's to solve a problem. It's to work yourself into obsolescence. So I think that not only can NGOs successfully go out of business, I think that should be the mission. If I threw you in the hot tub time machine and brought you back to when you first came up with the idea to to start the Bushwick podcast, uh, what advice would you give yourself? I would give myself the advice to focus less on what traditionally worked for podcasts and more on what traditionally works for community-based agencies. There's a lot of literature around how you can grow a big, broad audience and over a long period of time make a podcast sustainable. But ultimately, that's not what we're trying to do. We have a really focused purpose and a really focused audience, and we just have a very different set of tactics that works for us. What is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? 
as I mentioned before, something that I think we should stop doing is having just me as the host of the show and stop having the show only broadcast in English so that we can really reach our biggest and, and arguably most important audience. Uh, that's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of resources to help build that out. But it's something that I think is really important. If you had a Harry Potter style wand that you could wave across the nonprofit sector, what would it do? I would say, and this is a little more broad than the nonprofit sector, that every community could have a strong and independent platform for sharing local and civically important information. How did you get started in the social impact space? Going back even to college, I first entered the space by way of healthcare. My degree is actually in biomedical engineering, so I was very interested in the intersection of healthcare and technology. That started to evolve through different groups that I was involved with into things like counseling and things like the social impact space more broadly. And that's really been the arc of my career is how can you use things like technology to support work like social work? What advice would you give college grads currently looking to enter the social impact sector? The number one piece of advice that I would give is that it's never too early to get involved, whether that's finding a local group you can volunteer with, a library that you can teach classes at, or an online project that you can get involved with. Today, there is an opportunity for you to make a really meaningful contribution somewhere. And no matter what that might be, as somebody early in their career, that's going to open a lot of doors for you in addition to just doing a lot of good in the world. If you're a college grad, you've got a lot of knowledge that you can pass on to somebody who would be really, really grateful for it. And what you will get in return is either just doing great work, getting great experience, or meeting people, making connections, or learning about some other ways that you can get involved. So it is never too early to start doing something. All right, the final the final hardball coming your way. How do people find you? How do people help you? People can find me at our website, which is herebushwick.com. That's H-E-A-R bushwick.com. And people can help us by getting involved, whether that is referring us to organizations in Bushwick or organizations anywhere that are interested in using technology to help make information more accessible for folks. Please reach out to us. My email is luke, L-U-K-E, at herebushwick.com. And no matter what you are interested in doing to get involved, I would love to chat with you about it. Well, Luke, thank you for your time and expertise. And I think you've given our audience something to think about. We appreciate it. George, I appreciate you having me on. This was a blast. Normally, I'm interested to being the interviewer. So it was a real treat to be the interviewee. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.